autism, where affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Welcome listeners. This week we have a returning guest with us, Jackie Bartell, who is a retired special educator in Rochester, New York. She is a trainer with the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning for DIR Floor Time. And uh, she is an expert on IEPs because she worked in the schools for so many years. So this week's topic is answering a question that I had from a parent. How do we incorporate DIR or Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, the DIR model, that how do we incorporate these types of goals into a school's uh, IEP, which stands for Individual Education Plan. Welcome, Jackie. Well, thank you, Daria. It's always good to be back and uh, to, to come up with a new topic to discuss with each other. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's very uh, frustrating. It's a very frustrating experience for parents who have autistic children to start a new school year when it's that IEP time and the staff gets together and they bring you in and they start to write up this individual education plan for your child. And of course, every school, every district, every area, every state, every province, every city, whatever, does it in a different way. And we just wanted to kind of touch on ways that you can think about incorporating goals if you are doing DIR floor time and, and that's the idea of how you want to work with your child and how you'd like your school to work with your child, how we can get these goals into the plan. And it sounds very daunting uh, because so much is on our plate already. And then we kind of put the um, onus on the school to do these things for us because we're busy parents and then the school doesn't really do the things we necessarily want and we've got to kind of get in there and fight and say wait I want these goals in there help you know Daria I really appreciate what you, what you know kind of kind of the picture that you painted about this really 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 big continuum of variability from place to place and school district to school district about how these these IEPs these individualized education plans are written so I think that, that it's, it's really important for us all, first of all, to recognize that. And I think that you know, we're, we're taking this very wide, wide range. And what we're trying to do now as, you know, as, as we have this conversation is to focus into a, into a more narrow, narrow area of really thinking about how do we take a DIR goals and incorporate them into these individualized education plans in kinds of all, all, all sorts of different places. And I think one of the things that, 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 you, that you also alluded to is that, you know, like targeting where do we want the child to be working and what do we want the child to be working on? And I think what often happens is when schools start to target goals for children, they're looking at the observable behavior and not looking at the things that need to come underneath that observable behavior in order for the child to be successful with whatever it is. So, you know, we start to say, you know, a goal, for example, is, you know, we want um, Johnny to be able to line up with the other kids and understand, you know, that the first, you know, if you're the first, where you are in line, so for example. 
Well, if we have a child who's having a hard time with capacity four, they're not going to be able to do that. So what we have to do then as, as parents and providers is to think about where is it that the breakdown is happening with my child and pinpoint that rather than the observable behavior. And I think that that's, that's the trap that, that people often fall into. So then we take that and we say, okay, then how do we take that, the, 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 the capacity, the language of the capacity and put it into the format of my, the child will, will be able to do, will be able to sequence it and a set of, set of, you know, steps with 90% accuracy four times in a session. That, that's then taking what we need to do. We're taking the, the language of, FED, of, of an FEDC about being able to sequence and we're putting it into the format with the percentages and all of those pieces of the IEP. Okay. And, and can we pause for just a minute because some people that are listening may know a little bit about DIR floor time but they may say, what's an FEDC? So I just wanted to share my screen and just briefly, briefly, this can be referred to later and anyone listening or viewing this can go to affectautism.com and search IEP, Jackie Bartell, and you will see um, a whole blog post related to this discussion today and I'll have even a template that you can download but you can find these functional emotional developmental capacities at the ICDL website, which is the, the home of DIR and DIR floor time. And um, they're written in many places, but that's where it's sort of been standardized. And these are the official titles. Um, these are the six <clears throat> early social emotional capacities that Dr. Stanley Greenspan and his team developed in the DIR model to um, to describe the stages that children go through before they tend to be school age. So neurotypical children will go through these first few in the first few months of life. And children who have challenges, including autistic children that are developing on a different timeline or have developmental differences, they will still be able to develop these capacities uh, to certain extents or other, but they don't necessarily come naturally. And floor time is the intervention, so to speak, uh, or the method of interacting and playing with our children to foster these capacities in our children. So I'll let you describe anything you want to about this before we move on, Jackie. And I think what's, what, thank you so much for pointing this out, Daria. I think what's really important as we look at these is that they're described as capacities. They're not described as levels, which, and what that opens up for us is that we can think about these as that, 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 that you don't have a capacity, you complete it, then you're done and you check it off, and then you move on to the next one. That there is, that children and people, we move between these with some fluidity. And what, what impacts where we are functioning is impacted by how we are able to process the sensory information in our environment and that's what impacts it so we have to be we have to be mindful that 
that children are going to be at a certain level or a capacity in one moment and they may move in and out of it. And so it's really important as we think about goals for children, we also have to think about that individualized profile of how they manage the sensory information in their world. So, I mean, we're getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves and we'll back up in a second. But I think, you know, when we think about this process of, of writing IEP goals and thinking about how we're gonna incorporate them, it's, it's, I think of it as a three-step process. One, figuring out where the child is functionally in terms of those capacities and what their sensory profile is and how that impacts the capacities. And then taking that and looking at, okay, where are the areas, the deficit areas then, once we've looked at these functional capacities, taking that and then the third step is translating what those deficit areas are into IEP language. And I think, you know, if we think about that three-step process, that's really going to help us as we move along. What are the things that I have to do as a parent to identify in order to figure out what should that goal look like? And um, just to, to stress what you said about it being capacities, in other podcasts I've done, and certainly recently with uh, Maud LaRue, we, we talk about you know, this moving in and out of capacities, like, like we've said this many times, if you listen to these podcasts at Affect Autism, that if I'm stressed out, and I am a neurotypical adult, um, you know, I'm going to lose my own self-regulation and not be able to function because some kind of sensory input has been so overwhelming to me, whether it's, and the example I gave with Maude in the last podcast was, if I walk into a room that has overwhelming gross smell of feces, <laughs> let's just say, I can't continue a conversation, anything, I have a heightened sense of smell, and it would just overwhelm me so much I wouldn't be able to function. So there goes my ability to, or my capacity to engage and relate. There goes my capacity to have two-way communication with someone else. There goes my capacity to figure out how to problem solve something, to think in symbols and to have a logical ideas because I'm just focused on regulating myself to get rid of this disgusting smell. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And what happens when, when you know, you're, you're so overwhelmed by that, that all of your abilities in, those, in, in all the capacities just diminishes. And we have to be mindful of that with our children because there are things that are happening to them and their systems throughout the day that are probably not quite as extreme as what you described, but I think you're, you're, you know, what you described really hits home our ability to understand it, but there may, it may be much more subtle. And so, but it could also be extreme because I know um, some autistic kids who, like, they literally can't function if they're in a loud, noisy environment, or kids that are sensitive to the lights, or it. But I think what you're saying is they might look calm, but they're really not able to do anything but sit there and try and filter out this sensory input. Correct. But I, what I, what I sort of, what I meant subtle is that. Your, your example of feces in the room. Oh, is okay. A, is a pretty, it's, a, it's a pretty big sensory experience. You know, right. Like, you know, but to your point, you know, the, the, the lights might make too much noise or there's too much movement in the classroom. And it, those, those are subtle things because 
to us neurotypical folks, those are not as challenging. We and can filter so, them out. We can filter them out or, or, or filter them and organize them to be meaningful. And, and one other point I wanted to make, because this is always in the back of my mind, I personally don't like thinking of when you said translating, uh, when we look at these capacities and where we want our goals. So um, if my child is not able to figure out order in a lineup or to be able to stand in line, and that's a goal, I don't like thinking of it as a deficit. I think like to think of it more in terms of um, a goal, of a growth goal or something like that. But that's one thing that, that bothers me about, you know, the school system or whatever is that, you know, it often is seen as deficits. And these are things kids need to work on because they're negative or something. Whereas really, it's just kids developing and, you know, they're, they don't have this capacity yet, but we're working towards getting it as opposed to thinking of it as a deficit if they don't have it yet. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, a, a ch challenge is, is perhaps a better word, that, it, that the children are, are facing challenges in the environment. Because I'm challenged if I'm trying to look at an article about uh, astrological or ast astronomical, sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, if I'm trying to read a physics article, let's say, an academic article on physics or quantum mechanics, I'm challenged. I, would I say I have a physics deficit? I mean, I do, but I wouldn't say that. And yet we say this with our kids. And so I know that that's the type of thing that, you know, we also are hearing now from self-advocates who are older, like, why are we seen as the ones with deficits? Maybe it's the neurotypicals who have the deficits and we're the norm, <laughs> you know, like there's different ways of looking at everything. But, um, but that's another thing too, how strongly should parents advocate for positive spin on the way things are worded? I mean, we don't want to get ridiculous here and, and say, you know, um, that a child, a child who can't do many, many things, like has all these abilities that they don't have, but you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a, there's a difference between going overboard and being over dramatic or silly and just being respectful to our kids. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and I think in the, in, in the, in the, in the land of IEPs, we, many of I, many IEPs talk about present levels of performance and need. So you can put it, you know, you could put it in those terms as well. You know, and where, where, where are the developmental challenges? Now, I don't like to look at them just as you don't. I don't like to look at them as a developmental challenge, but you know, where, where are the challenges that make relating and engaging challenging for the child? And I think that that's the piece that you know, if we can make that shift, yes, that because it is within that framework that the challenge exists. It's not a, not a challenge in terms of you know they 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 can't line up. To go back to the example, that's not the challenge. The challenge is that is for the child is their ability to understand the process of sequencing, and that then makes it difficult or challenging for them to be able to get in line so that the you know and, and and remember what i said is that 
that's the observable behavior. And from the point of view of the other children, the, the expectation is that, that children will be able to move in a line. You know, and this is that, I mean, it's a very, very superficial example, but for the case of our discussion, it, it, it works nicely. Children are expected to be in that line. So the observable behavior is that child X is not able to be in that line. So then we have to back up and go, let's look at those capacities and see where, where what is creating the challenge. And so if we, you know, we can zero right into this capacity four, where we see that sequencing is part of that, that, that capacity. We zero in on that and we go, okay, that's where the that that's what's creating the challenge or the deficit as observed by the, you know, by the school or the discussion or whatever it is. So now let's let's strengthen the child's ability to think about and to learn about how to sequence in as they relate and engage to another person. Absolutely, that makes sense. Um, now, you mentioned that one thing, uh, three things that you want to look at is, of course, this developmental area, uh, where are they in these capacities, but then you also said um, there's looking at their sensory profile and how to see how the sensory profile impacts their uh, capacities, and so this is just a sample of some things that might be relevant for some kids of people watching. <laughs> this doesn't mean that this applies to every child. Um, I'm just showing for those listening on audio podcast, which you can see if you go to affectautism.com, search IEP, Jackie Bartell. I have a column here that um, says sensory seeking and avoiding. And so this particular child, they observe uh, that this child is a seeker in the terms of proprioceptive input. So crashing, jumping, running, throwing, these are behaviors that are seen in this child. And okay. this, uh, yep. Let me, just, let me just jump in here because I think this is a really great example. Sensory seeking, avoiding, proprioceptive input. So this, 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 in this sample, it's, it's a situation where a child is going to seek proprioceptive input. That's the issue. That's the challenge. The observable behavior is crashing, jumping, running, throwing, vestibular input. And what we want, what we're working through here and thinking about is we want to avoid having a goal then written. Johnny will, you know, will, will decrease his throwing behavior. Or Johnny will be able, you know, because perhaps that you 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 see the the crashing, jumping, running, throwing when when the child is asked to make transitions, and so the person's going to write Johnny will be able to make transitions with ease. And what we want to zero in on is that this child is seeking proprioceptive input when the environment is challenging. So what we want to do is write a goal that says, Johnny, when given proprioceptive input, will be able to make transitions smoothly 
you know, one time, blah, 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 blah. All of the, 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 the percentage and, you know, the counting language. And for those listening um, on audio, the second column then provides some accommodations or support strategies to do that. So to add to what you just said, by providing heavy work activities, perhaps you give them a weighted ball, uh, perhaps they, they push or pull heavy objects right before the transition, or they're given deep pressure, uh, things like that. They're, they're taught to take deep breaths. Things like that um, are in the second column here, how to support that input that's required for the child's specific individual difference. Which then, that, and that, 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 that individual difference impacts, for, for the case of our example, transitions. And that's, and that's- which, which is, which getting in line to go to a different room or classroom is part of the transition, yeah. And the transition then, and that, that then goes back up into sequencing. Because if you can't, if, if it's challenging for you to hold on to a sequence or understand sequences or know where you're going and what's going to happen and anticipating you all of these things are going together create that observable behavior that that Johnny won't make transitions well and often what happens is that people target the transitions and so then then you know going back how do we write goals from an DIR perspective? If we if we just leave it as transitions, then then the only thing that's going to happen in the work is going to focus on the moment when the transition is going to be it needs to be made. Rather and, than and or and or the child will get taken away or punished or something because they're not able to do it, as opposed to providing support to them to be able to do it. Right, and, and using things like visual supports and all sorts of stuff, if the child still can't understand it or doesn't, doesn't have the ability to manipulate a sequence in their, in, in their mind, you, you can, like 400 visuals, and the child is, is going to continue to have challenges. So we've got to work on the steps beforehand, support around those, giving proprioceptive input outlining the sequence for them in in in, in so, so it's obvious what's going to happen what did happen what's going to happen and just to point out um another column um in the first column another row here says motor planning and physical abilities so uh in this sample of an individual difference of a child there's avoiding uh, avoiding activities that involve multiple planning, multiple sequences, motor planning, multiple sequences. So um, again, the strategy in the next column would be to encourage self-regulation strategies and scaffold the interaction. Um, and you mentioned visualizing a sequence drawout plan on paper prior to motor planning the activity in order to help the child visualize the sequence. Um, this is a specific strategy written up based on this child's individual difference around motor planning. So um, I'm just gonna flip to the next page here because there, there's also uh, information processing if the child has auditory challenges around um, 
taking in information at a normal speed. If, they, if they're challenged in processing that information at the speed that the other children process it, they might get dysregulated. So um, there are different strategies that can be used. But I, I just wanted to point that out before we go on because you had mentioned Absolutely. individual differences. And um, another thing that's here is a sensory diet, which I did a podcast with uh, Virginia Spielman, where she said, I prefer sensory lifestyle as opposed to sensory diet because a diet implies it's just a temporary thing. Whereas for our children, they might need sensory supports and strategies throughout their day, every single day. And those might change as they develop, but they're there. So this, how would you incorporate uh, these kinds of sensory things, which kind of go back to what we just talked about in the individual differences. Uh, like you said, this child seeks proprioceptive input or vestibular input. Let's give them that input right before it transitions. That would be part of a sensory diet for that child's IEP. Mm -hmm. And and you know for for many IEPs that would it would be put in the management section of of the IEP and I think I re I really like what you said about a sensory lifestyle rather than a sensory diet because I think that it's important just as an aside that people understand and when it's put onto onto an IEP we want to make sure that the language is such that it that it lets people know that this is not something that you do when things have fallen apart. This is something that you do consistently throughout a child's day in order for them to be able to maintain that regulation that a sensory diet goes after. And I think it's, you know, all of us in the world, we, none of us exist in this world without giving, we all have a sensory lifestyle that we take care of for ourselves. And what we're doing here is we're doing this, we are more, more deliberately giving children the opportunity to have this sensory lifestyle and to give them those, those, those pieces in a very consistent way throughout their day. And it's, again, I can't can't say it strongly enough. It is not for when things have fallen apart. Right, because, um, you know, uh, a lot of people will wake up in the morning and they know if I don't have my coffee, I'm not going to be able to sit through that first meeting of the day. Or if I don't eat breakfast, I'm not going to be able to function or go work out at the gym like I do before I go to work or whatever it is. Our children don't yet know these things about themselves, what they need. All we see is when they get to the point where, like the adult who didn't have their coffee, like the adult who skipped breakfast, we just see the behavior. And so it's so important to provide these things in advance. Let's be proactive. What do we need to do? Maud LaRue always says, a generic thing to tell anybody regardless because it works for many many children it may it's better to know specifically by consulting with a dir occupational therapist what works for your child specifically but in general give that uh, deep pressure massage to your children for five to ten minutes in the morning 
you know, kind of giving them squishes along their arms and legs and on their back and just doing that, getting their body sort of ready and more organized to start the day. And then again, what they get home from school, she says, that's a generic thing to tell people in general, but that's just one example of something that, you know, if, if your child gets dysregulated, what's going to happen throughout that school day as first someone teased them, then the lights were too bright in that room, then it was super loud during lunch hour, then this, then this, and all adding up, adding up, adding up. By the end of the day, they're just going to have some big outburst and everybody's focused on this behavior instead of going in and taking care of these things that help keep your child calm. So for adults, some of us drink, I don't, but some of us drink six cups of coffee a day or whatever to stay regulated. For me, it's different things that I need to do to stay regulated. Um, we need to provide this for our children because they don't necessarily know what that is. Um, I know specifically my son, he needs lots of heavy work, uh, lots of, of proprioceptive and vestibular input provided throughout the day, or he is going to get dysregulated. He might spit, he might kick, he might run away, he might start to throw things, he might knock someone else's lunch off of their table, spill their soup onto the floor, knock their drink over. And that's because he's gotten to the point where he's overwhelmed. And I think, Daria, you, you, you make such a good point. And I think that one of the other things that I want to point out is that it's, you know, you, you said if I, if I have a, I need to have a cup of coffee so that I can get through that meeting. And I want to set it, set the stage even, even more specifically that if, and especially what you said about, you know, the massage and stuff, what it does is it sets the child up so that they're going to have a good day. You know, I, I as, a, as a person, I have to get up in the morning and I have to go do some, some running and running or exercise. And some days it doesn't happen because, you know, life happens. I am a much better person and can, can relate and engage better if I have that to start my day. So I think you know we want to set up the set, set our children up for that, and it's really important you know that that when we put these things on IEPs, because they should and it should go in the management section. If this is something that your child would benefit from, that it is written in a way that it's clear that this is something that needs to be done consistently throughout the day, and you know here here in this example. It very specifically says, you know, in the morning, in the evening, upon arrival, and throughout the day. It says specifically what's going to happen in school, and you know, in what way. It's important that we make sure that that it's written in a in in a way in a frame as this this sample is, so that people know this is supposed to be done consistently, not when there's a problem. Just like we wouldn't wait till a child says, I'm hungry, to feed them. We give them breakfast, we give them lunch, we give them dinner. So this is a similar thing that many children need and not just autistic children. Exactly, exactly. It, yes. <laughs> Movement and all of those things are good for all children. The research really, really points to that. So... 
do you want to get into now, because, you know, we are talking about the DIR model. D is for developmental. These are the capacities, the functional, emotional, developmental capacities, where we want to take into consideration where our child is, is functioning in, within those capacities. The I is for individual differences, and, and that's why we were just focusing on what is this child's specific sensory profile? What are their individual differences that need to be taken care of that give them the best chance to function at their highest capacity, give them the best shot at that? And then the R and the DIR model, the relationship, of course, we want to know that everybody who's interacting with our child in the school makes them feel safe, especially their main teacher and teachers, that therapists, whoever that are working with them throughout the day, that they have a really good, solid relationship, that they feel safe and secure with this person, and that, that this person um, knows your child well enough to give them the benefit of the doubt and knows their individual differences, understands their developmental capacities, and can really be there to help regulate the child, co-regulate with the child. Yeah, and I think when you, when you say that the child can feel safe, it's about being feeling safe emotionally and physically and that both of those components have to be have to be taken care of for the child so how would you uh because for those listening i've i've have here a sample of some current strengths and abilities and then goals to work towards uh sectioned off by functional emotional developmental capacity so the first one is self-regulation and interest in the world second one is engaging and relating and so on through the six early capacities um schools will not write it up like this jackie they won't have a chart that says functional emotional developmental capacities these are our strengths and abilities and these are the goals so this is a, a sample that's written this way that parents can then say, hmm, where is my child and where are they functioning developmentally? What are their individual differences that impact that? And how can I write it up in a way that this is where they are currently and this is the goal I want for the school? So how can parents look at this chart, use this chart, which is based on um, one particular profile and child, not necessarily uh, your child, um, how can they how can they do this? How can they translate these DIR goals into an IEP? Very carefully, no. <laughs> so I'm just looking at let, let, let's take a look at this this one. JS, this is the one, two, three, fourth one down. And I'll we're read just it. saying Joe Smith, a generic child. Joe Smith. Joe Smith is currently able to co-regulate with therapists when experiencing moderate discomfort within 10 minutes when provided with sensory accommodations and sensory support. So a quieter classroom, deep pressure input. So we, we see here that he is able, this, what, this go, what that is really telling us is that, that JS is able to become when, with another person. So he's able to use another person um, after he has had some sort of something that was distressful for him. So, okay, and it takes about 10, he's, he's able to do that within about 10 minutes of the person being able, supporting him, of that person co-regulating with him. So what we really want to do is that here you can see the goal for him 
is that he'll be able to achieve a state of regulation within two minutes following a period of moderate distress by co-regulating with the therapist and also being provided with sensory accommodations and sensory support. So in, with this particular goal, if we take that, we lift that out, we'll be able to achieve a state of co-regulation that, that you could take this goal actually and just lift it and put it into an IEP, okay? He'll achieve a state of co-regulation within two minutes or be able to be calm within two minutes. And the, the, what, what I think is really critical here is we'll be able to achieve a state of co-regulation and interact and engage in the learning environment. So that, that, that will th then push it, push it towards what is the observable behavior that we're looking for. The child will be able and ready to engage in the, in the, in the learning environment, okay? With the therapist while also being provided with sensory accommodations and sensory support. And I would even say with the therapist, JS will be able to achieve a state of regulation when provided sensory accommodation and sensory support within two minutes following a period of moderate distress by co-regulating and, and, in, and engaging and interacting in the learning environment. Right. So then you, you, you've taken in the behavior, what, what, what he needs to be able to do, and you've talked about what is the observable behavior that we're expecting. And that, which, which is what, what is create, creating the challenge for the child and the larger classroom, classroom is that he has a hard time engaging in the, in, with, with the, learning, with the learning, learning materials or the learning environment, okay? So here, let's look at the, 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 the last goal. JS will be able to use self-regulation strategies to achieve a calm alert state within two consecutive minutes independently. So here, here we're again, it's very similar to the previous goal because we want him to be able to use the strategies on his own here, which is different from the, from the top one, that he can start to use different strategies to be able to be calm in a in a in, in the learning environment. So here, what we could write, because again, the observable behavior is that he will be ready to engage and interact in the learning environment. So you can, one could say, JS will be able, will demonstrate ability to be available for instruction in the learning environment. What was that again? <laughs> <laughs> it, goes, it comes right out of my mouth and then it's gone. JS will demonstrate a calm state that will allow him or her, depending upon what JS is, him or her to engage in the learning environment. Okay. Will will demonstrate capacity to achieve a calm state independently. 
And so just what we've just done here, what it really illustrates is that it's this is a process. As you think through what's what where where is the challenge? What is the observable behavior? What do we want the child to be able to do? You know, as I, I, I kind of worked worked forward and backward in terms of putting that goal together. And you mentioned that this would go in the management section of now, these typical are, IEPs or these these goals would be these would go into the goal section of the IEP and would be addressing for in those present levels of performance would be addressing areas of as as is written in the IEP areas of need in the IEP because the goals you, typically what happens in an IEP is you have the present levels of performance what the child is able to do then you, you just discuss the needs where 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 are the child's needs what do they have to learn to do and then from those needs that's how you then generate the goals for the child so if we think you know that 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 three-step process present levels of performance figuring out where the child is in terms of those those developed functional emotional developmental capacities and individual differences okay the second the second tier is the need so figuring out where are the challenges to the to, to the child in terms of achieving those observable behaviors and then from there then you take that and you put that into the goal and you take the goal here's what the child's goal is what their what their need is from the dir language take that and then you have to put it you, you write that but you have to include the observable behavior in there because that will make the the, the wonderful world of school happy right and and it will also it what what that also then does is if you have situations which which i'm sure many of us do as parents where your child is going to school and it, it is a school that is it's it's a, it's a great school but they're not necessarily all trained in dir thinking it it what you're doing is you're supporting that supporting the marriage between dir and school which is so important and you're outlining for them okay here here's what you're looking for here's how we achieve that from a dir perspective so let's look at just a couple more examples here um, through the later capacities uh, beyond the first one here so into the second capacity of engaging and relating we see here our our uh, fictional student JS is is um, let's let's do the middle one. JS is currently able to sustain engagement for six to eight minutes during classroom activities, but the goal is that JS will be able to sustain engagement with four to five different peers in both a one-on-one -on -one play session in a small group setting of two to three peers and in a large group setting of four or more peers for up to 25 minutes. So that's, that seems like a bit of a jump, but um, I also skipped here one of the other current strengths, JS is currently able to sustain engagement with a peer 
for 15 to 17 minutes at a time when provided with verbal and gestural support. The therapist provides breaks as needed to help maintain a regulated state. So that's what JS can currently do, and that, and that goal is to sustain engagement for up to 25 minutes in a variety of settings, one-on-one, -on -one, with peers, in groups, that's that, that that's that's a very that that's a very um that's a very large goal that was written there for JS you know because there's there there are so many different components that he's expected to be able to do and I think when I the the the, the observable behavior that we're looking for for JS is to be able to be in a learning learning group if you will. You know, because, you know, we don't know how old JS is, you know, and if we're talking about a preschooler, for example, child will be able to play. If we're talking about a second grader, we're not necessarily talking about play anymore in terms of school. What we're talking about is there is, is, is ability to be in a learning group. Okay. So if let's for for the sake of discussion we are first talking about a preschool well we'll, 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 well let's focus not on preschool because if there's no ieps in preschools i don't think yes there are oh there are okay yeah <laughs> but but let's okay so js will be able to sustain engagement and demonstrate play or group learning activities group learning skills with four to five different peers, both in a one-to-one -one and small group and large group. And I might, I, I might even take that and I might break that up into three different goals because in order for JS to be able to do that, first he has to do it with four to five different peers. And then he has to be able to do it in a small group setting. And then he has to be able to do it in a large group setting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, th those are tiered right along with, you know, the, he, what one builds upon the other. Yeah. And so you, what, what you can, you, either they're separate, there are three separate goals, or it's one goal and then you have objectives you know, bulleted out in group learning says with four to five different peers in a small group and in a large group, because we want those to be able to work through with each one. And for those listening in on audio, I am just editing our sample chart that will be available at the blog post at affectautism.com um, under the discussion around IEPs. If you search IEP, search Jackie Bartell, and that's where we have it listed here. And um, I don't know that we necessarily need to go through all six FEDCs, but is there is there anything more you would like to say to sort of help parents individualize it for their own children well i think i think one of the other pieces that that that's important about this is that when we think about 
IEPs. IEPs are the goal section is divided often into um, you know, cognitive goals, communication goals, goal, you know, physical movement goals, and social emotional goals. And so when we think about, so if we go, if we go back, so to re rewind to that, the goal that we just, we just looked at, that goal could fit under cognitive, or it can fit under social emotional. You know, it depends upon where, you, where, where we want to put those goals. And I think, or the other alternative is that you can put these goals under other. But I think that that sometimes is a challenge for people too, because, you know, th this therapist's work is, is, you know, the speech therapist is working on communication, maybe some cognitive. The teacher is doing cognitive and management and social emotional. You know, an OT or a physical therapist might be working on the the physical piece but within all of those these goals that we're working on are part of it you know if, if we want to be able to 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 work on our our ability to use our fine motor skills we both we have to first be able to function in it to be able to co-regulate with another person or be able to maintain a calm state with another person as we're doing that and so that those those may be may be areas that come before the actual fine motor goal, and then if we're starting to you know if you start to get into things like, um, you know, a fine motor goal, you know, JS will be able to utilize use scissors you know three times in in a session. JS will be able to be well regulated or will be able to co-regulate with the therapist and understand you know because he has to be able to co-regulate he has to understand the stack the sequences of cutting will be able to co-regulate and execute a three-step cutting sequence with support you know take taking those pieces and building them into the goals because so i i think we're we've kind of now talked about two different things because um, what's in here are more DIR goals, like building these six capacities, whereas now you're talking about skills that don't necessarily have to do anything with DIR, but in order to do those skills, you need to have the DIR capacities. So exactly. cutting with scissors and things like that aren't DIR goals per se, but uh people at the school may or may not understand that in order to achieve those goals they the child will need the early social emotional developmental capacities namely the first one where you're able to co-regulate and, and be regulated um exactly and you know you you think about like transitions making transitions is not a dir goal but making transitions is it's a human goal you know it's part part of us being able to 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 function in a group and so looking at again that's that's the observable behavior now push it back to to the to 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 dir language and dir thinking and where where are the what is it about this that that is challenging for the child and we can always, you can always break it down into 
into or or find in terms of the, the developmental capacities what is creating the difficulty with this process okay you know and, and part like a cutting goal part of it may be that that you know the hand strength mm -hmm. but but if we can't you can't if we're going to try to, to develop our hand strength we still have to be able to be calm well regulated and co-regulated in order to engage in the activities that work on supporting hand strength now um, for parents that struggle with how to identify these things, we would definitely recommend finding a DIR professional that can work with you to identify the sensory, uh, preferably a DIR occupational therapist to provide those, uh, to provide that individual profile in terms of the sensory pro profile. But um, a, a DIR professional usually can help you identify where your child is on this developmental ladder the functional emotional developmental capacities one through six these so-called foundation academics as dr gil tippy calls them these foundational social emotional capacities that we want the children to achieve before they're getting into school and not only that but the the one thing that I think is a little bit lacking in our podcast today, which is such a bigger topic, is we identify where the child is, we identify what the goal is, but we don't necessarily talk about how to get there, and we don't necessarily have control over how the school's going to get there either. So how do they do the floor time? How do they playfully challenge the child in the just right challenge and, and you know push their development forward? Um, I guess that's a larger question that I address at Affect Autism through all the different podcasts. Um, but in terms of the IEP, I guess, you know, having these goals in place are important to alert the staff to making sure they're paying attention to the child's individual differences profile, to making sure they acknowledge the reason behind why behavior is happening not just punishing the child well and i think daria you know i think that it's it's it, it is i mean it's that, that's a really big big topic but i think you're at we, we are you know at you could say at step one or we are work by looking at ieps and how they're written we are taking steps that are moving forward to introduce school personnel to this idea that there's something that needs to happen before we deal with the behavior that's before us that there's scaffolding to build to support being able to do those things and i think that that's the piece and and in in many many different ways as parents who are you know who are on this journey and 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 helping people understand dir and who really really trying to have a program that supports the child in terms of that this is one of many steps that we can take to help build the relationship with the school and help them begin to understand what that process is 
Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we can, we can just do that one step at a time, of course. And Dr. Shanker talks about that all the time with his self-reg method. We always want to be proactive and not wait until the child becomes dysregulated. Because once, once you enter what he calls the red brain, there's, there's um, really nothing you can do but wait it out. <laughs> so this is a way to be proactive and take steps to ensure that our children will have uh, successful days at school. Right, and I, I want to just, just emphasize not one step, but a step. It's not step one, Okay. a step. So that there could be steps here, and steps here and steps here, like all, all over, but it, it is a step that we can take. Well, thank you so much, Jackie. As always, uh, appreciate you taking the time to be with us and listeners, make sure you check the blog post associated with today's podcast where I will put links and you can access the document that we were looking at at affectautism.com. Just search Jackie Bartell or IEP. Thank you so much, Jackie. You're welcome. It was wonderful as always. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.